Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on our Savior, to fall in your grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name. Call our Savior, to call on your grace. So hear the joyful sound of our offering. As your saints bow down, as your people sing, we will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see that our God Yeah. 
Well, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. Desire is now satisfied hearing your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. My failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Thus, the God of the valley is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's Turn graves into gardens. You turn bones. 
may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. So thankful that you're here to worship with us uh, the Sunday after Easter, right? Because he lives, man, we continue to gather. We continue to be changed, and so we're excited that you are here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Uh, we would love for you to let us know that this is your first time. A couple ways you can do that. There's a QR code in the bulletin. You can scan uh, or um, there's a connection card, an actual physical form that you can fill out. You can do that after the service. So welcome, excited to be able to gather and to worship Jesus. All right, I need my kids. And my kids will come forward. We're going to gather. Let's go on this side this morning. How about that? Uh, just watch out for the microphone in, in the stand. So come on the stage. Um, so I shared last week that we're not going to do this every week, but the last Sunday of the month, which happens to be this morning, our kindergarten through second grade does not have children's church. So I thought the best way to do this is the last Sunday of every month, we will gather with all my friends up here, which is today, the last Sunday of the month, and we'll read uh, out of the, this book. Um, you can't see the pictures. They're really cool. We're going to try to get something worked out to where we can put this on the screen where you can see the pictures as I'm reading it. You won't actually be able to read it, but maybe you can see the pictures. And you'll have to listen to me or others who would like to come read a story with my friends. All right, friends, so um, I just got one really quick question. And uh, so you're going to have to yell it really loud. Here's what I want to know, because we're going to go to the beginning. The first words of the Bible are, in the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. So here's what I want to know. And don't tell me yet. I'm gonna, on the count of three, you're going to yell your answer. But here's, the, here's what I want you to think about. What is your favorite animal? God created everything, including animals. So I'm going to say one, two, three, and then I want you to yell as loud as you can your favorite animal. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. You guys get all that? Moms, dads? Malachi, what's my favorite animal? We just talked about this two days ago. It lives in the cold. Penguin. There we go. Penguins. All right. So chapter one. And so it begins. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In the beginning, there was God. Actually, that's not quite right. Even before there was a beginning, there was God. He never started. He always has been, always is, and always will be. God is God, and there is nothing else and no one else who compares with Him. God doesn't get lonely or bored or scared. He doesn't need anything from anyone. He just is. He's the great I am, whether people know it or not. But don't think that makes God a meanie. There is nothing mean about him. God is all love and all glory all the time, which is why in the beginning God created the heavens and the what? Earth. Earth. Good job. God made everything, day and night, land and sea or water, fruits and vegetables. You got to eat those vegetables. Sun and moon, swimming things and flying things, big burly beasts and little creepy crawlies. In the span of six days, God created our amazing universe. The power and beauty and goodness of our invisible God would now be visible. All right, so there's a bright color right there. See that? All of you guys over there that are listening, paying attention. See that right there? All right, next page. We got two more pages. There's a, here's just a page of pictures. This is where it would be really cool if we could get this on the screen. You guys would see what we're looking at. See, look at that. Is that a bear? I think it's a bear. All right, here we go. 
Of all the special things God made, the most important thing was not a thing at all. It was a person. God may have been fond of fish. You like fish? Uh-huh. And he probably liked camels and kangaroos. That's another one of my favorite animals, too. Maybe even spiders. Nope. Don't like spiders. God maybe did. But he created man in his own image. That's us. We were made to be pictures of God's glory, living, breathing statues whose work in the world is to show that this place belongs to God and to tell everyone what he is like. The first person God made was who? Adam. He came from the dust of the ground. The second person God made was Eve. There you go. She came from Adam's side. They were both made in God's image, and they were made for each other, a perfect fit, just like God had planned. So that husband and wife can be together and make lots of itty-bitty baby image bearers to fill the earth. All right, one more paragraph. Here we go. Things were off to a good start. God was pleased with his creation. He looked around. He saw that everything was tremendously terrific. And he, what did he do on the seventh day? He rested on the seventh day. A perfect beginning to the beginning. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that you created us, that you made us, God, that you created all, Lord, of the wonderful things that we can see and enjoy. And God, though I didn't understand a word these kids said when they talked about their favorite animal, God, you did, because you made them, and you hear them, and you know them. And God, you sent your son Jesus to rescue them. And as we get into, continue to the story, God, we see that your beautiful creation, we as human beings, made a mess of it. But God, you're good, and we thank you for creating us, and we thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys go back to your seats, and we're going to sing some more.
shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. He's also holy and worthy, isn't he? Where is he to be worshipped? Worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all the glad songs we can sing, worthy of all of the offerings we bring. You are worthy, Father Creator. You are worthy, Savior Sustainer. You are worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise, worthy of reverence. Worthy of fear, worthy of love and devotion, worthy of bowing and bending of knees, worthy of all this and added to these. You are worthy, Father Creator, you are Sustainer, you are worthy, worthy of worship, worthy of worship and praise. Almighty Father, Master and Lord, King of all kings and Redeemer, wonderful Savior and source of our life without end. You are worthy, Father, Creator. You are worthy. You are worthy, worthy and wonderful, worthy of worship and praise. Thank you. you. may be seated.
because he lives. Amen. All right, at this time, our children pre-K are going to make their way to Children's Church. Kindergarten through second, you're going to hang out in here with us this morning. While they're making their way and, and folks are getting transitioned, let me just draw your attention to the bulletin. We concluded our Annie Armstrong Easter offering last week, and you will see our goal was 6500 and you gave $9,642. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for your generosity. Ephesians chapter 5. Let me quickly recap where we've been and where we are going. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, Paul is dealing more so with the indicative. This is who Christ is. This is who you are in Christ. This is what he's done. This is what he's doing in you. Like This is the foundation. He died. He was raised. By grace you're saved. You're in Christ. The Spirit of God is in you. This is who you are. When you come to chapter 4, he begins to switch to the imperative, to the commands, in light of who Christ is, in light of that Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you are now to live this way. So just to quickly recap, chapter 4, what we notice is that at the beginning of chapter 4, he uses this word walk, live, peripateo. How are we to live? How are we to walk? He says we are to walk humbly. He then spends several verses talking about how we are to walk in unity. And then he spends several verses, and we spent a month and a half on how we are to walk differently. And he talks about how we are to re remove that which was part of our former life, and we are to replace it now because the Spirit of God lives in us with something different. So verse 25, for an example, therefore having put away falsehood, right? that's what you're to put away. That's part of the old man. Now that Christ is in you, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Then a couple weeks ago, chapter 5, verse 2, we see that word walk again. And he talks about how we are to walk in love. Our life is to be lived in a way that we are to love God supremely and we are to love other people. So we're to walk in love. The motivation there is because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse 8, we'll see this in a few weeks, that we are to walk as children of light. We're to be children of light. And he contrasts light versus darkness. The motivation is because we are, verse 10, to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We want to walk in light because we want to please the Lord. And then, verse 15, he uses that word walk again. Again, all of these in the commands, the imperatives. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in light. We are to walk in wisdom. Verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We should want to know what the will of the Lord is. So that's where we're going this morning we're in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. And I want you to notice what Paul's doing here is he's going from self-sacrifice. Christ gave himself up for us. And now he's going to move into self-indulgence. He's going to go from talking about love to he's going to talk about lust. So we are in chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. So would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Let me say that again. This is the word of the Lord. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, 
that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let us go to the Lord. Father, we come to you. I come seeking help. I come seeking strength. I come seeking, God, a calm spirit and and wisdom. Father, I come seeking that you would grant the hearers humility, ears to hear, eyes to see. God, that you would grant repentance, that you would help us to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. If you were paying attention... As I read those verses, you may very well know where we're going this morning with one of the main topics. So, just a couple things. Number one, I'm going to do my best to keep this PG. I know that we have kindergarten, first and second grade in this room. I debated on waiting a couple weeks to preach this message when they weren't in the room, but I just felt the Spirit of God saying, now's the time. I'm also going to keep it PG because... My parents are in the room. (laughs) Of all the Sundays they came to visit, today's the day, right, when we're going to be talking about sexual immorality. So, listen, there's a lot more that can be said and needs to be said that I will not be able to say in a 30, 35-minute sermon. So there may be things, man, Pastor, I wish you would have said this. I I wish we had more time. Um, But I'm I'm not going to go into a lot of depth. I'm just going to try to do an overview I want us to see what God's Word has to say. I do want to say this about my parents. I'm thankful that in our home, this was an open conversation. I'm thankful that in our home, my mom and dad had a godly view of sex and sexuality. That they taught us and instilled within us. So hear me as we begin this. Every one of us in this room, every person watching online, every person on the face of the planet, you either have a godly view or an ungodly view of sex and sexuality. You cannot take the position, well, I have no view. Well, I just don't even want to think or talk about it. No, you have a godly or an ungodly view when it comes to sexual immorality. So, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, there's six things that Paul mentions here that in essence what he's saying is these are to be removed from your life. And then at the end of the sermon, we're going to come see what he says to replace it with. So let me go through these things quickly, give you the Greek word, maybe what this word means, and, and then we're going to kind of give a, a, an overview of what's the Bible say about this very subject. So let's start. But sexual immorality must not even be named among you. The Greek word there is pornea. It is a broad word, a broad word. It is a word that Jesus uses in Matthew, I believe it's 19. It's, it's a broad word that covers any, any sexual sin. Broad word, any sexual sin can be placed under there. He then goes on to say sexual immorality and all impurity. That Greek word is another broad word. It speaks of any type of filth. Paul has already used it, verse 19, chapter 4. They have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He then goes on to say, but that's not how you learn Christ. We have now learned Christ, and so now he tells us in chapter 5, All impurity is to be removed from us. He then goes on to mention the word covetousness. Your word may say greed. 
We can see covetousness as a desire for stuff. We can also see covetousness as a desire for people. An immoral lust for things or for people. Things that we want more than we want God. Right? It is immoral. And so what Paul is saying here is we must eliminate sexual impurity from thoughts and deeds. But Paul also deals with our words. Not just our deeds, not just our thoughts, but our words. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. So let there be no filthiness, let there be no foolish talk. Multiple commentaries draw out the fact that this Greek word for foolish talk, from that word we get our word moron. Fool. The Bible talks about fools. Here's what you and I often do. We associate the fool. It's like we say, I mean, you're just a fool. You're a moron. What we think that means is they are mentally deficient. You're just not very smart up here. But the word fool actually speaks of a moral deficiency. The fool says in his heart there is no God. That's what makes somebody foolish. Not the mental. It's in their heart. They reject God. They want nothing to do with his commands, nothing to do with his morals, nothing to do with his way of life. So filthiness, foolish talk is to be removed, right? He also goes on to say crude joking. Now listen, I love to laugh. I love to laugh. I hope you like to laugh. It is good medicine to laugh. But we need to be very careful what we are laughing at and laughing about. Because there are a lot of people, for a lot of their jokes, it's just crude. It's immoral. It, it's, it's dealing with sexual immorality and immoral things. And people laugh like the water cooler talk, right? Uh, and it's just immoral. And as followers of Christ, Paul is saying those things should be removed from your life. They should not be there. And so that's what he says we're to remove. Now we're going to come to what we replace it with, which is really interesting. It's not what you would think he would say. We'll get there in a minute. But let's just, let's just get an overview here. What does God's Word say about sexual immorality? Well, we go all the way back, as we did with the kids this morning, to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what we have to understand first and foremost is that God is our Creator. God created us. We are not here apart from God. He created us, and He made us in His image. And God in His sovereignty in the garden creates Adam, and out of Adam He creates Eve. And there they are. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. God has created them. So not, not only is He their Creator, but God is also the giver and the designer. And what does He say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And look, again, we're going to keep it PG. Right? You know how babies come along. I love how the, the, the book that we read just said a bunch of itty-bitty babies came along. It doesn't go into detail. They just came along. You know how they get there, right? God in His sovereignty creates sex for procreation. But He does more than that. Because it talks about how they're one flesh. So God also creates sex for intimacy in marriage. And it is a beautiful gift that God has given. Hear me. God is against abusing and distorting His beautiful gifts. Whatever His beautiful gift may be, if we distort it, if we mar it, He's against it. He's given us this beautiful gift. Adam and Eve, in the garden, be fruitful, multiply their one flesh, and wouldn't it be great if you could just stop at Genesis chapter 2? 
But there's a Genesis chapter 3. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? There's God, for his, is his creation, Adam and Eve, and along comes that sneaky snake, that, that serpent. And what does he immediately begin to do? He immediately begins to call into question God's goodness and his truthfulness. Did God really say? In other words, Adam, Eve, can God really be trusted on this? Like, really? Can you trust him? Because here's what I think. I think he's hiding something good from you. That there's something better for you, and he doesn't want you to know about it. So can you trust him? And they buy it, hook, line, and sinker. Right? They're right there. Man, I don't know if God can be trusted. Maybe there is something better. They begin to doubt the goodness of God and, and, and the fact that he's in control of all things. And, and they sin against God. And as a result of that, Genesis chapter 3, every good gift that God has ever given we find a way to corrupt it and to pervert it. And that includes sex. We pervert it. We twist it. We live, I use the word, I use the word broken. That we live in a broken world. The world's broken because of sin. It's because we have rebelled against God. Hear me, every part of the world is, is, is affected as a result of sin. Socially, relationships are affected. We don't have great relationships everywhere. They're, they're affected, right? Spiritually, we've been separated from God. Psychologically, people walking around with guilt and shame. And how do I, how do I resolve that? How do I remove that? Physically, it's broken. We die. People are sick. People hurt each other. Like, we live in a messed up, jacked up world because of sin. It's what, it's what we do. We mess it up. But thank God he had a plan to make it all right. So, it's God's gift that we pervert. So what is sexual immorality? Again, the Greek word's porneia. It's a general term. That's awfully quiet in here, by the way. Um, I don't know how many amens I'll get today, but I put one person to sleep last week, and that was Malachi. So hopefully nobody falls asleep while I preach this week. All right, what is sexual immorality or sexual sin? It is any sexual activity before or outside of marriage between one man and one woman. I mean, I even thought I'd get an amen on that one. I know. It's like, man, what do we do? What do we do with this message, right? Sexual morality is any sexual activity before, young folks hear me, before you are married in a relationship, a covenant before God and people where it is a permanent relationship, anything before that is sexual immorality, or anything outside of that marriage union between one man and one woman. That includes, again, not going to go into great detail, that includes premarital sex, that includes adultery, that includes pornography, that includes homosexuality, that includes polygamy, that includes any sex that is coerced or manipulated. And you could continue, but we're going to stop there to keep it PG, right? Anything outside of a marriage, a covenant between one man and one woman is sexual immorality. And Paul says it's not to be a part of your life. We read in Scripture we are to flee from it. We read in Scripture we are to abstain from it, right? We, we are, as followers of God, as people of God, it should not be a part of us. So look, look what he says, verse 3. These things must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. We'll come back to that in a moment. Nor should you have these filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place. So, again, there's a lot that could be said. Let me say, let me say three things. 
before we come to what we replace it with. We'll camp out here for a minute. Number one, I think what I have observed as Christians, so let's, I, I want to start. It's easy for us to focus on lost people, but I want to start here in our house among followers of Christ. Number one is sometimes we are guilty of focusing on sins that we don't struggle with. Growing up, what I heard sometimes from pastors is those pastors have certain sins that they will just rail against, neglecting a lot of other sins. And so the reality is sometimes as Christians, we focus on the sins, sexual sins included, that we don't struggle with. So full disclosure, I have never in my life, I'm 42 years old, struggled with same-sex attraction. I've not. So it would be very easy for me, every Sunday when I get up here, to hammer against homosexuality because I've never struggled with it. And I think that's what happens if we're honest in the church. Homosexuality has become a sin that we as Christians hammer on and we get really angry and defiant and we, we, we raise our voices as if we can browbeat people into repentance. It is a sin. We, we need to be honest about that. But there are other sexual sins that the church has just kind of swept under the carpet. Like pornography. A lot more people in this room struggle with pornography than same-sex attraction. And in God's eyes, it's a sin. It's on, along the same lines. In fact, according to statistics, most of you men in here either struggle now or have struggled in the past with pornography. Some of you women, too. So when we talk about sexual sin, we need to be honest about all sexual sin. What sexual sin is there in your life? If you're not married, that you're committing prior to marriage, or if you're in a marriage that you're committing outside of that marriage, that you need to confess and you need to repent of. Because what does Paul say? These sexual sins must not even be named among you. Like you should be walking so uprightly before the Lord in righteousness that nobody can even falsely accuse you of these sexual sins. Not even named among you. Why? Because they're out of place. And look what he says, not named among who? As is proper among audience participation. Uh, among who? Saints. You're like, well, we know the saints, Catholic Church. Like Those are those really high, elevated people. I'm not a saint. No, not so fast, my friend. Biblically, hagios, right, that word, saints, is used to speak of believers, holy ones. So if you, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, have come to believe in Jesus Christ, you are a holy one, you are a saint, you are set apart. Therefore, this immorality should not be named among you. So let us be careful that when we talk about any sin, sexual sin included, we also talk about the sins that we struggle with. The church has been guilty of, of sweeping sexual sin, rape, those types of things that even happen among staff members kind of under the carpet, under the rug. Those things need to be dealt with. Listen, I believe if a pastor is, is found guilty of that, gone, out of the ministry, we don't protect him, a deacon. If we're aware of somebody is hurting a child, we deal with it. It doesn't matter the, 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 the ramifications or what comes. I mean, this is sin. We're not going to just accept certain sins because well, it, it impacts this person. If it's sexual sin, it's sexual sin. Number two, again, we're going to talk about us before we switch it. The church is complicit in sexual immorality. We're complicit. 
Look, lost people are going to do what lost people are going to do. They always have. Unbelievers who are darkened in their understanding, blind to the things of God, are going to live immorally. Here's the problem. The church, if we're honest, has failed to make disciples. We have failed to make disciples. So growing up, salvation a lot of times was simply this. We would offer an invitation. Well, if you'll just come forward right now, say a prayer. I'll lead you in the prayer. You say a prayer. Fill out a card. We'll baptize you in water. We'll celebrate and applaud. And then, good luck. Figure this thing out on your own. It's easy believism. Salvation has become, say a prayer, fill out a card. It's no wonder that so many of our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren, when they get older, walk away from the faith because they were never taught to actually believe in Jesus and let Him change their life. And so, a large part of where we are in America, it's really easy to blame political parties, but I think the first people we got to look at is us. Among Christians, now again, lost people are going to do it, but among followers of Christ. And that's where I'm seeing a lot of Christians are walking away from a biblical sexual ethic. It's Christians that are walking away from that. Because they've never been taught that following Jesus, yes, you receive and you believe, but then you begin to follow. Like, listen, the Spirit of God is going to indwell you. You will not be the same. That's what we have to tell people. If you're going to follow Jesus, the Spirit of God is going to take up residence in your life, and you will not, you cannot remain the same. I love what John Phillips writes. He says, a cheap form of Christianity is in circulation today. It is not really Christianity at all, just a popular counterfeit. People make professions of faith that entail no repentance, no genuine conversion, no regeneration by the Holy Spirit, no dynamic new life in Christ. Now, brother, sister, you and I may fall into sin. Every single one of us, we may fall into sin. None of us are exempt from that. But as a follower of Christ, you will not remain in that sin. There will be repentance. When a brother or sister comes along and says, Hey, I love you. I've seen you fall into this sin. Repent through the Spirit of God. We don't want to stay in that sin. We want to repent of it, and we want to experience victory in Christ. Hughes writes, do Christians fall into these sins? Of course, but true Christians will not persist in them, for persistence and sensuality is a graceless state. Now again, there's a lot more I could say about sexual immorality. I think my definition is clearly defined it. It is not to be a part of us. And then he gives us a couple reasons as to why it should not be. Any sin, including this immorality, covetousness, should not be a part of us. So here's what I want you to see before we, we come to the thing we are to replace it with. Is you and I need to see the seriousness of our sin and of our immorality because God takes it serious. So look what he says. For you may be sure of this, that everyone, see that word? Everyone. Who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, Look what he says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Listen, there is healing. There is restoration. There is salvation available through Jesus Christ. But that salvation is not possible apart from repentance. 
Jesus says, repent, turn from your sins, and believe. Not a one-time repentance, hey, I did it when I was 10, but an ongoing walk in repenting of our sins. Not a one-time I believe in Jesus, but a daily ongoing putting our faith in Jesus, right? And the person who continues to live in these sins, and hear me, you go to 1 Corinthians 6, you go to Romans, Paul lists other sins that are way beyond just sexual sins. And and his point is, if we continue unrepentant, there's no change in our hearts. What he says is, you will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and God. Meaning, you cannot come to God and remain in your sins, whatever they may be, and think you will inherit the kingdom of God. That the rule and reign of Christ can be a part of your life if you refuse to repent. There must be repentance at a brother or sister or an unbeliever who is living in sin, sexual sin, whatever that may be, who is not repentance, has not repenting, and there is no repentance, then Paul says they do not have a part in the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say this in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of God of disobedience. Anybody in here like discipline? Any of you kids, those of you that used to be kids, young at heart, did you like it when your parents disciplined you? The answer is, let me just go ahead and tell you, no. God tells us in His Word that God will discipline His children. If you are living right now in sexual sin or any other sin, idolatry, covenants, whatever it may be, God will discipline you because you are His child his son, his daughter, and he has a plan and a purpose for you, and you're not walking in line with that. He will discipline you. But hear me, that is not what Paul is talking about in verse 6. He is not talking about God disciplining his children when we fall into sin. He's not talking about discipline. He's talking about the just, righteous anger and wrath of God that will fall down upon those who continue to walk in sinfulness. Those who try to deceive you with empty words, try to twist God's word, like God's wrath is going to be poured out upon them. So hear me before we end this message more positively. If you are living in unrepentant sexual sin right now, pornography, maybe you're acting upon same-sex attraction, adultery, like, I don't know the extent of it. Maybe you're not married and you're fooling around with, with somebody you, that you like. Listen, you have one option, and that is you better repent right now. You better turn from that. Turn from it. Because if you refuse to repent, you never turn from that, then what awaits you, if you're an unbeliever, is the wrath of God. It's why I'm standing here with all of you looking at me in this intense topic willing to preach on something like this because your eternity is at stake it's at stake your relatives your neighbors an eternity is at stake not because their sin is worse than yours but it's because all sin condemns us to hell and we need a savior and only jesus can save us and so with love right he tells us to walk in love and as we're walking in light seeking to be different not because we're superior to them but because christ has changed us and as we walk in wisdom knowing how to rightly handle these things we call people to repentance so this morning do you need to repent is there a sin that you need to confess 
Because if you belong to Jesus, he says you cannot continue to live in these things. All right, lastly, let's go to what do we replace it with? I just think this is so interesting. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be purity. Let there be holiness. Let there be godliness. No. Let there be what? Thanksgiving. Fascinating. Why, when Paul is just dealing specifically with sexual sin, that he throws in an idolater, brings everything else in, why does he say that we are to replace those things with thanksgiving? Well, a couple things come to mind. Number one, what we have a tendency to do as Christians is we begin to complain. We begin to look at our circumstances, the things that are going on in our life, and we begin to complain, and we begin to complain what we're ultimately doing. If you're complaining about something in your life, is you are really saying to God, God, I don't know if I can trust your goodness, and I don't know if I can trust your wisdom in my life. Like, God, personally, I would do this differently. I would have created me differently or given me different desires. Or So we, we ultimately are questioning God's goodness and his wisdom when we begin to complain about things in our life. The other thing that I would say is this. All sin really comes probably from one of two places. Pride or idolatry. Pride. God, I can do this better. I know better than you. I mean, it's pride. A refusal to repent, to turn from our sin. That's pride or idolatry. God, I know you're wonderful and you saved me, but to be honest, I would much rather just do this. I love this more. This brings me more joy than reading your word. This brings me more pleasure than walking with you. I would much rather live in this sin than walk in righteousness. All of that is idolatry. Somebody this week I read said this, I don't need substitute gods for pleasure and joy. Man, you want pleasure? You want joy? Hear me. You will find it in God. That's where you will find it. And so a heart that says, God, you have created me, you have made me, you are good, and I want to rejoice, and I want to be thankful, and I want to love you, right? That heart is not going to be prone to walk into sin, whatever it may be, because your eyes are fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on Jesus. Go to Titus chapter 2 as we bring this to a close, right, as we land the plane here. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. I'm going to give you a second to turn there. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let's start there. Why should you and I be a people who choose not to live in sexual sin, whatever that sin may be, but choose instead to walk in righteousness because the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared for sinners like you. No, for sinners like me. I'm the chief of sinners. Look, I could get up here right now and point out things that I've struggled with in my past. Man, by the grace of God has He saved me and rescued me from that. I don't need substitute gods. I need Jesus. I need to fall on my face and say, thank you, Jesus, for rescuing a sinner like me. The grace of God has appeared, and only by God's grace. And what has it brought? It has brought salvation for all people. Young people, you know what you need? Jesus. Old people, older people, you know you need Jesus. 
You need Jesus. Man, I listen. Together for the Gospel took place this past week, and it was the last time that they gathered. They've been gathering since 2006. I listened to several different sermons. Um, man, I listened to a sermon. So search this. Together for the Gospel, 2022, Shaylin. Shaylin preached a 30-minute sermon. One of the best sermons I've heard in my life. And all he talked about was Jesus. This is who Jesus is. You need Jesus. And he was speaking to pastors. Pastors, you give your people Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Listen, Jesus is superior to anything in your life. Anything. And you and I ought to be willing to run from that sin and run into the arms of Jesus because he saved us. But then he continues in Titus chapter 2. This grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Sometimes we just want to focus on the salvation. We forget the other part. You want to listen to another sermon. John Piper preached a 55-minute sermon. It's longer on the fact that we're called to holiness. We talk a lot about justification by faith, absolutely. But that justification by faith leads to holiness. And, what, and he's just challenging us to call our people to walk with God in holiness. So what does he say? Training us to renounce ungodliness... And worldly passions. You see that? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and it trains us. And we have failed to train our people. Pastors have failed to train their people to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Say no to sin. And yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Look, I, I know I'm already up against my, my time, but I, I just want to share something that really, really just hit me and, and spoke to me, and, and I just want to challenge you with this as we live in these difficult times. So um, one of the things they did it together for the gospel was they interviewed, um, like 50 minutes, they interviewed John Piper about his life and his ministry, and he just shared a story that just hit me and resonated me, with me. And I'm like, man, that, that, that's, that's what I want. And so he was talking about early on in his ministry, you know, they would have business meetings. And he said there was one guy in particular that every business meeting would go to the microphone and it was no. He was opposed to everything. Didn't matter what it was. Budget, building, ministry, didn't matter. No, no, no. Always opposed. And so he, he told his, his men, told his, they had deacons and eventually elders. So I don't know what they had at the time. He said he told those men, he said, men, this is what I want you to do. He said, we know every meeting this gentleman is going to go to the microphone and it's just going to be no, no, no. He said, I just want a couple of you to walk up to the microphone. And all I want you to do, he said, I don't want you to argue. All I want you to do is open up God's word and read scripture that shows why we're trying to reach people for Jesus and why we are to be on mission. That's all I want you to do. Don't argue his point. Don't shoot him down. Just open your Bibles and quote Scripture. Church, that's my challenge for us. We are living in a day and age of rampant sexual immorality and perversion. You will not browbeat people into repentance. You will not be able to argue people into repentance. You will not be able to go on social media, right, and blast them into repentance. But what you can do is know the Word of God and open the Word of God and say, this is what it says, this is what I believe, and I'm calling you to believe this as well.
to be men and women who know God's Word and speaks it on every issue that we can with a loving, calm spirit that understands it is only the Spirit of God that can bring about repentance. So the question for you this morning, is the Spirit of God leading you to repentance this morning? Whatever area that may be, sexual sin or something else, is He leading you to repentance? This morning, do you need to come and kneel at the altar and pray? He said, well, pastor, people are going to assume I got to pray. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It's between you and the Lord. Do you need to come and kneel and pray? Do you need to go home this afternoon and confess your sin and make some changes, throw away some computers, alter the phone, bring some accountability into your life? Like, What do you need to do so that you can begin to walk uprightly before your God who saves you and loves you? What sin do you need to confess? And then simply this, are you more devoted to the things of this world or are we more devoted to the God who has saved and rescued us? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I don't know how you use this message, how you will use this message, Lord, this morning, but I'm one who believes we preach all of Scripture, that we don't skip the things that we may find to be a little more difficult. And so, Father, this morning, God, I I, I preach the words that I believe you laid upon my heart. I pray that I was faithful to the Scripture. I pray, God, that it brought glory to you. And I pray, God, that what you do from this point forward will bring glory to your name as your people seek to live self-controlled, godly lives in a day of rampant ungodliness that is constantly before us through media, technology, social media. God, only by your Spirit can we live those changed lives lives. So impress upon our hearts this morning that we must live those changed lives because not only have you forgiven us of our sins, but your righteousness, Christ, has been imputed to us. We do not claim a righteousness of our own. We claim the righteousness and the blood and the raised Christ. That is our profession. So may we be a people who seek to walk in faithfulness to that. Lord, we need you Father, forgive us. Cleanse us, change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together. You respond, you come and pray as the Spirit leads you.
Righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness, righteousness is what you want from me. standing for just a moment. I want to encourage you, please, to look inside your bulletins. Let me just quickly go over some stuff. We've got a senior trip uh, coming up. Awana starts at 5 o'clock tonight, last night of our Awana season. So Awana starts at 5, and then the awards is 6.30, correct? So you want to be here for that. Uh, you Sunday is next week, so you please be here for that. If you are part of Sunday School, come support our students. Let me encourage you, be prepared to talk and engage, because I don't know if our students can teach for 45 minutes. Maybe they can. So be prepared to engage with them. Um, we also have our cake auction next week, so see that. we got a ladies' night out, a big event. Ladies, if you had already signed up prior to this morning on your way out, if you'll just stop by the table, you'll see some men out there, especially if you have kids, just letting them know, hey, will you be, will you be bringing children and how many? Um, our, our Praise Makers Choir is coming up, and then Ecuador Mission Trip, if you are interested in... Uh, all of that. Mr. Dennis, I believe, is the Deacon of the Week. Where's Mr. Dennis at? There he is. Dennis, if you will come uh, close us with a word of prayer. Let me encourage you to be here tonight. Even if you uh, are not part of Awana, you don't typically come, uh, come at 630 and support these kids because they've been doing what I kind of talked about at the end of the message, hiding God's Word in their heart. So hopefully that everything they do, man, Scripture will just flow out. And they can, take, they can stand for what they believe in. Dennis, if you'll close us with a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for, for Ben and his witness today with salvation and following you in believer's baptism. So, Lord, we thank you for that uh, picture that we saw today. Lord, we also thank you for our pastor who uh, searches the scripture. Lord, he preaches the scripture, does not pass over difficult subjects. And um, Lord, I thank you for the way he's been able to deliver that message. So, Lord, I pray that each of us would search our hearts to find areas where we don't measure up to the standard that you've set for us. So Lord, help us to, uh, to find those things in our lives that don't please you, uh, confess those uh, and turn from those things. But Lord, just lead and guide us and direct us as we go through this week to seek to honor you in all areas of our lives. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that we pray.